Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? This is called a cross. Can you say that with me? Cross. Let's say it. Congregation, will you help us? It's a cross. That's right. And it was on a piece of wood like this that Jesus died for our sins. And when we see a cross like this, uh, sometimes we have them on a wall at home. Um, I actually have a little one by my bedside I made as a child that I hold when I pray at night. Um, and uh, we often have them like this on a stand or that big one back there that's just about life size, but probably a lot nicer than the one Jesus died on. But when we see a cross like this, we remember that Jesus loves us that Jesus died for us. And so when we bring our sins to Jesus and we say, I'm sorry, and he says, I forgive you, he also means, I love you. I want you to remember that especially today too, that when Jesus says, I forgive you, he also means, I love you. Can we pray about that? You fold your hands and we'll say a little prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us and to tell us he forgives us and he loves us. And for that, we love you too. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, my very dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Word of God for meditation on this 17th Sunday after Pentecost is the appointed New Testament epistle for today, James chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, will you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you, are, you sin and you are convicted uh, by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by my deeds. This is the word of the Lord. 
It's, it's natural, and I think it's good for a Christian to be concerned, or maybe I should use the word careful, about this text, this chapter of the book of James. Luther himself was rattled by it um, and, and, and until he came to understand the difference between the book of James and almost every other book of the New Testament. You see, uh, Romans and... Uh, oh, Corinthians, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and Galatians, and Ephesians, and 1st Timothy, and 1st Peter, and on and on, are especially concerned about how we're saved. About salvation that is being saved by the grace of God through Christ alone. But here in the book of James, we have a different look at that, and we look at how we put that faith into action what we do with our faith and its deeds. Now, the Bible does tell us very clearly that we're saved by faith and not by our works or our deeds. Paul says in Ephesians, this is Ephesians chapter 2, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And the apostles want us to understand that um, if any of our salvation, the way we're saved, if any of that were up to us, uh, uh, something we do or say or think or even a choice that we make, how would we ever know we had done enough or that our motives were pure or that our choice was made for the correct reason? No. No, Paul says in Ephesians 2, it's a gift. It's not by works or what we do or, or choose to do. Grace, which is the love of God that comes to us that we don't deserve, is entirely and completely up to God alone. Now, there are some people who might argue that faith itself is a thing that we do and therefore it is a deed or a work that brings us to God, but faith, which is our trust in God, is a gift. It's a gift in the same way that, that uh, a, a rope or a floating life buoy or a life ring thrown to someone who's in the water is a gift. Or in the same way that to someone who's down deep in a pit, a hand or a, or a ladder would be a gift. And so, so Paul says that we are saved by faith and not by works or deeds. But James simply says that faith without those deeds is dead. And those two things don't contradict each other. Faith, after all, is the, I'll call it the IV tube that you get in your arm and by which all of the medicine of God's grace, his love, his forgiveness, the new life in Christ, the, the, the promise of the resurrection, all of that comes to us through that gift. But the deeds that James is talking about are all of those things that we do here on earth to show our faith. Jesus explained this difference by uh, the, the, the parable of the talents, where a bunch of servants are given a, basically a pound of money, uh, and what they do with it is what he's looking for, uh, 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 to see what will happen. How do we use the gift that we've, that we, that we've received? When, um, what, when, when 
I got married uh, years and years, 26 years ago. Um, one of the things we were given was a little jar of coriander seed. I don't think I even would know what to do with that. And I noticed the other day, it's still in the back of a shelf in my cupboard, covered with 26 years of dust, unopened, never used. That's a gift that's a useless gift. It's unopened and un un unused. And what, what James' real point here is, is that our faith and its deeds are the way that we love each other, love our neighbor. He calls that the royal law. Um, and especially, James says, don't show favoritism. And he, he, he says that in two ways, with two examples. One in the church and one outside the church. The one in the church is when somebody comes in with nice clothes and a gold ring or whatever, and, and you show that person uh, a special care and favoritism, but somebody comes in and kind of uh, maybe, maybe unwashed, but, but maybe just not very nice clothes, and you kind of poo-poo them or, or, or tell them, you go sit in the back or whatever. You've sinned. It's not a sin to come to church dressed one way or the other. The sin is how we treat people who come to church dressed one way or the other. That's the simple truth of playing favorites. It's an easy trap to fall into. And James says, we are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Now the other example is outside of church, and that's when you know that someone <clears throat> doesn't have everything that they need. Maybe they've even told you they, they can't afford clothes, they can't afford food, they can't afford a roof over their head, and, and you have the means to help them, but you don't. And James says that that's obviously a sin too. That's one that the whole world would understand and see. And <clears throat> that's why James says whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. That verse, James 2.10, is, uh, wow, that's a, that's a stumbling point to some Christians because it just doesn't seem fair. What, what do you mean? I have to keep all of it and, and, and not break any of it? And, and what James means is if you break some of it, you've broken all of it. If, if you have a coffee mug and it's got a crack and it's broken. Isn't the whole thing broken? If I have a ring and I cut it in half, isn't it broken? If I have a chain and, and there's a link that's missing, or I've got a light bulb and it's got a hole in it, isn't, isn't, aren't those things broken? And, and God's law is a whole thing. It, if somebody breaks into my house through one window, hasn't my house been broken into? God's law is, is perfect, it's holy, and it's complete. That's God's holy will. And breaking a portion of it is rebellion against God, and therefore it's against all of his righteous law. And we don't have to go through every single law in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. We don't have to go even through all Ten Commandments. Let's just take the two tables of the law. The first table of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second table, the one James calls the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. 
It's really the way we divide up the Ten Commandments. Three of them, love God. Seven of them, love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't do one of those and, and not do the other. You can't choose to do some of them, but not all of them. You can't keep part and not all. Otherwise, you've sinned. Just as faith can't be divided. Whether it's the law of God or the blessings of Christ, our Lord Jesus is not a buffet table so we can pick or choose this or that because we like this and that, but we don't necessarily want that or this other thing. We run the danger of violating that doctrine all the time by trying to pick and choose just which things in God's law we don't think should be sins. Or we want the things that offend us to be looked at as serious sins, but we want the things that, that we kind of like to do as, as if they're little bitty sins, not, not really sins at all, hardly sins. In, in, in other words, what each of us truly wants deep down is for God to come and stand by us, shoulder around us, so he can wink at us and scowl at everybody else. What we're saying is that we want God to listen to us which means that we want God to obey us. I wouldn't dare to say that out loud, even though I just did. And none of us would. That's not how we think, but that's what those actions are saying. That's what the devil has tricked us into doing so that we keep the whole law, stumble at just one point, and guilty of breaking all of it, we have said, God, I know better than you. Well, the more we contemplate that, the more we understand it, the more deeply we dive down to inspect the wreckage of every single piece of the damage of sin in our lives, inch by inch and millimeter by millimeter, and the more we understand, I need to take my sins to Christ. And he says, I forgive you. And then we realize, I have more. We take that to Christ. And does he say, how come you didn't think of that in the first place? No, he says, I forgive you. And then we realize, I have more. And he says, I forgive you again and again. Never be afraid. Never, ever be scared to admit to God that you have more sins and take them to him to be forgiven. But be afraid on that day when you think you don't. Now, James, what James has done is something different. He has picked us up by our ears and brought us out of this spiral of guilt upon guilt. And as we delight in God's forgiveness and breathe the fresh air of God's love and joy, then Pastor James kind of points our shoulders and, and gives us a little push. He gives us direction. 
and something to follow. He gives us advice. You know, the fact is, there's almost no gospel at all in the text before us this morning. All I've been able to find is the name by which James calls our Lord. He says, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And there's gospel there in every syllable of every word there. But here, the, the law, because everything is law or gospel in Scripture, the law that James is preaching is, it, of, of the three uses of the law, it is not the law as curb, which is the law for unbelievers, the law that basically keeps the world in check with things like don't murder and so forth. And it's, it's not especially, although it is in one sense, the law as a mirror to show me my specific sins. And favoritism would be one of those. But James is really using the whole law as a guide. The third use of the law, the, the kind of law that is only there for Christians. The law as a guide is the law as an instruction manual. It's a road sign that says, you can go this way, but don't go that way, but go this way. That's what James is telling us. Show your faith. You're not saved by what you do, but your faith is shown. Your faith is preached to the world. Your faith is laid bare before God in heaven by the things that we do. So show it by, by loving people who are in need, helping them in whatever way you can. Show it by not passing judgment on people because of what you think of as their social status. Show it by not assuming that people who don't have the same background or history that you do are necessarily wicked or evil. Consider, for example, Abraham. Abraham, called by God, but from what? A family that had degraded uh, down into worship of false gods, little statues and idols. God called him out. Think of Isaac and Jacob, his son and grandson, who played favorites with their children. You don't do that either. But God forgave them and, and set them in his family. Think of Moses, who was a murderer. Matthew, who was tax collector in that culture. It was practically the worst thing you could possibly be. Think of the Apostle Paul, who before he was an apostle, was the greatest enemy to the Christian church that the church ever had. His goal was to wipe out, eradicate Christianity forever. And what did God do? He took that man and made him into the opposite, the greatest missionary the church ever knew, even though he didn't speak a word of English. God used them. It isn't for you and me to decide who God will use and for what purpose, but it is for you and me to welcome people into God's family and to build up his kingdom and to reach out with the gospel for everyone to know and, and for everybody who is lost so that they will know, as James says, our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. And then how we might show our faith with our deeds. And the peace of God that transcends our understanding guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. For our stewardship thought, let us pray.
We give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. May we thy bounties thus as stewards true receive, and gladly, as thou blessest us, to thee our first fruits give. Amen. 